Today's staff is Chavchet, um, but we're a little bit behind. We're on Chavzayin Amitbet, and we pick up at the very top of Chavzayin Amitbet with the position of Rabbi Eliezer, who says that you have to have 14 meals in a sukkah, two each day, all seven days, and also says, relatedly, that you uh, can't, you, you don't fulfill your obligation with a sukkah built on Cholomoid in the middle of sukkahs, or if you go to a friend's sukkah, it has to all be once your one sukkah all seven days, and that's what establishes it as like a substitute house. So very uh, demanding position of Rabbi Eliezer. Um, but the one concession, and we'll pick up from there, four lines from the top of Chavzai he will concede that if your sukkah fell down, you can rebuild it on Cholomoid, and it's considered to be a continuation of the first sukkah. Now the Gemara says, my time is Rabbi Eliezer. What's the reason of Rabbi Eliezer? That he demands it only be your sukkah that you're in for all seven days. Amar Kra, the verse says, Chagasukos You should make it for you. Oh, excuse me, we're going to get to the Lucha in a minute. It should be Shivat Yamin. It needs to be a seven-day sukkah, which for him means to be, well, that's focusing on the idea that it can't be a sukkah built on Cholomoe. It can't be a sukkah that was only around for part of the Chag. For Abbanan and the rabbis, Hachikamarachmana. This is what the rabbi, this is what the Torah saying. Asay sukkah bichag or lichag. Make a sukkah for, you know, the, the, the yantiv, but it doesn't mean that it has to be a seven day sukkah. Um, the shavim she'inafla shechoser bonus of a cholam shemayed, but they, he does concede that you can rebuild it on cholam moed. So the Gemara says pita. It's obvious. I know it's not so obvious. And the Gemara will tell you what the chiddush is. No, ma'odetayim ha'yachvisi ve'enu l'shiva. I made a thought that the new one you built is halachet is considered to be a separate sukkah, and it's not a seven-day sukkah. Kamash malan, we don't say that. So this is Rebbe has a position. The sukkah has to be for all set built and standing for all seven days. But obviously he goes further and he says you have to live in the same sukkah for all seven days. Tanya, and that, that's what we're going to turn to now. Um, the same way a person does not fulfill his obligation with his friend's lulav on the first day, um, you should take for you it has to be yours. You don't fulfill your obligation by going to your friend's sukkah. make for you it has to be yours. And again, all these positions seem linked. It seems like his idea is is that to some degree is to establish this as your substitute house. It has to be around for all seven days, and you have to be living in it for all seven days. So even if one meal you had elsewhere, um, you would not be considered a full substitute for your house. Um, of course, the question is, as Tosas asks, um, that does this really mean that if you, that you have to uh, have, you know, um, that every person in, their, in the house has to own a separate sukkah, or not? Um, so, um, I think, let me just try to find the Tosas where he mentions that. Hold on, where's the Tosas? Um, hold on. Um... A minute. He says like this. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it says near the bottom on Kol Ha'ezach Israel. He says the Tema says Tosa. So Rabbi Yehuda divides Sukkah Shalachem Ain Shnayim Yotim the Sukkah Echad LaOlam because this is also going to get to a point we're going to see in a minute that you can't even own it in partnership. It has to be all private and individual ownership. So he says, Every member of the household needs his own sukkah. Okay, he says, Maybe the Shema have a taduru. Maybe for a household, because that's an idea of Kain Taduru. That degree of, of partnership is allowed. A partner with your neighbor, that's not good. In partnership sukkah, But maybe right, there you go, very funny. But, but okay. There's so much for these sukkah I know. Anyway, well you can sukkah as long as your main meals are in your sukkah. So everybody would be eating alone. Yeah. Well, but that's why he says. Well, that's the point. You wouldn't be able to have guests over. You can have well, guests over. In your house, your members of your household, right? Yeah. So Tosa says, obviously, your members of your household have to be. We have to assume that even according to Rabbi Yezer, that would be considered your your private sukkah. But beyond that, you know, you cannot go. At, you need all fourteen, all seven days, all fourteen meals. You need fourteen meals. They all have to be in your one sukkah or your house is, You know, your household. Can, Okay, that's Rabbi Eliezer's position, and again, presumably this idea of really establishing it as your substitute house. 
the Chachamim Amri, and the sages say, although you don't fulfill your obligation on the first day of Sukkot with your friend's Lulav, you can go ahead and fulfill it with somebody else's Sukkot. All of the citizens of Israel will dwell in Sukkot. So what does that mean? So they mean it. all the citizens can dwell in one Sukkot. Although it says sukkahs in the plural. So, how can you have them all in one sukkah? It must be that they're taking turns, and it must be you don't all need to own the same sukkah. Of course, Rashi says, what do you mean? Maybe they all own it in partnership. So this is Tosus' point that you see that according to Rabbi Eliezer, if he's demanding ownership, he would reject even the idea of partnership. That Rabbi Eliezer demands really, again, let's bracket the case of your own family, but outside of family, he'd really demand private ownership. And the rabbis say, no, obviously you see in the verse that it's not possible to have, that, that everybody can live in one sukkah. So we're not talking about private ownership. We're talking about, about, you know, about partnership. And once you're talking about partnership, if that's okay, it's also okay to borrow somebody's sukkah and it doesn't all have to be a sense of yours. Okay. That's what, um, that's what the Chachamim say back. Okay. So the Mar says like this. The rabbis say you don't have to own your sukkah to be yotze. What do they do with the verse lecha, yours? To exclude a stolen sukkah. But if it was a borrowed sukkah, repeating what we just said a minute ago, that we know is okay. All people can live in one sukkah, meaning again, and if that allows either partnership or taking turns, you do not need private ownership. So the only thing being excluded is stolen. What does Rabbi Yezer do with the verse all, all citizens in one sukkah? Since he basically says, he, he says you can't share a sukkah, it has to be your private sukkah. So what does he do with it? So, that's to tell you a chiddush, all people, meaning even if you just became Jewish in the middle of Sukkot, or you became a legal Jew in the middle of Sukkot, what does that mean? You had your bar mitzvah, if you're a, a boy, during on Cholomoed, or somebody converted on Cholomoed. So since Rabbi Eliezer says normally you need all seven days in a Sukkah, maybe this person would be exempt because they can't have all seven days in a Sukkah because they only became Jewish or an adult in the middle. So no, Kol Hezrach is telling me for these people that there wasn't another option, they can have the Yotze even with a Sukkah only for half of the Chag. I've never okay? heard of someone converting a Cholomoed. Yeah. What can I tell you? It's a hypothetical. Okay? Right, people share the Sukkah in Europe? Really, for the whole community? Like for people Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you have it now, like, you know, for now that you have people in, in building, right? So they build one sukkah for everybody in the apartment building, or the shul sukkah. Okay, yeah, Rabbi Leather would give you a real hard time if you lived in an apartment building. I don't know what you would do. Okay, he says, um, okay. Uh, because of the Rabbanan, the rabbis would say back, even the rabbis say, look, anyway they hold, you can have a sukkah not for all seven days. The They don't need a case for that special, interesting case where somebody only becomes obligated in the middle. Okay. So that's the debate, again, with Rabbi Eliezer really insisting it has to be fully your substitute house. So Rabbi Lai went to greet Rabbi Eliezer, his Rabbi, in Lod. Lod was where Rabbi Eliezer lived. And on the on the on Sukkot, presumably Sukkot, or not necessarily Sukkot, a regel, we'll see, a regel. Amalov, he said to him, You are not of those people that stay home during Yantiv. Now, because look, first of all, if it was Sukkot, he'd have a problem with him because he felt that everybody had to stay home and live in their own Sukkah. So you can't, if you're in Sukkot, you're in somebody else's Sukkah, you're not Yotze, right? So you would have had a big enough problem there, he's not Yotze Sukkah. But this presumably isn't even Sukkot. And even though it's not Sukkot, forget being Yotze Sukkah by staying home and using the same Sukkah for seven days. He still didn't like the fact that he dr- traveled to visit him. Why? I praise the lazy people that don't leave their houses on the regal. Now, he doesn't really like the fact that they're lazy, but, you know, it's sort of like the principle that even a stopped clock is right twice a day. So even if you're, the, even if you're lazy and it's not a good reason, but if it leads to the fact that you're staying home during the yantiv, that's good. You should be staying home during the yantiv, whatever your reason is. Anyway, you should rejoice, you and your household, meaning that um, you're obligated, speaking to men, to have simchas haregel and to celebrate the regel together with your wife. 
you know, this was a big thing. You know, in the time of the Hasidim, the people would leave their families and travel for the regular. Right now, people are going where they go for Rosh Hashanah. Uman. What? Uman. Uman and this and that. So it's not a new thing that people, men, abandon their homes and go and do these pilgrimages on the regal. So he said, you know what? The mitzvah on the regal is, starts with experiencing it with your family. The Samachta Taubetacha. Okay, so you should have stayed home. Even if it wasn't Sukkot, forget Sukkot, you need to stay home because according to Rebbe Lezer, it should be Yotzei, the Mitzvah Sukkah. But even on another regular, you should be staying home and spending it with your wife. Any, is this really true? How do you know you have to greet your Rebbe on the regal? Why are you going to greet him today? This was said by the woman who, um, whose son died, right? And then she was going to Elisha and having Elisha was going to resurrect him. So her husband said to him, you know, well, she didn't know he was going to resurrect him, but that's what happened. Anyway, so the husband said to him, why are you, uh, this is Isha Shunami, why are you going to him today? It's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not a Shabbat. It's not a special day to visit, uh, you know, to visit a holy man. So Michlal, from there you can see to be Chodesh with Shabbat Mechayim Chivak Buli Apirate that on Rosh Chodesh or on Shabbat this is when you do greet your Rebbe or you know a you know this religious figure. Shalom Rebbe. So the says right. Lokasha, it's not difficult. Had Azil Ati Biyomi. Fine. That's when you're going to come back on the same day. Had um. Uh, uh, if you're leaving you're not coming back and you're literally abandoning your wife for that entire period so um, so then you're not being fulfilling the idea of Simchas HaRegel now it's quite interesting because Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat is not Regel so the mitzvah mm-hmm. Simchas HaRegel you could have said fine I'm Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos then that's when you can but the point is even though the story was Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat Rabbi Yitzhak learned it to teach you and it's interesting how he makes that jump he learned a verse that's about Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat to say you see you have to do it on the regal right so how does he exactly make that interpretive jump is not clear but once he's saying that forget the verse it's based on if there's a mitzvah to visit your Rebbe on the regal what do you do with the idea of Samach Tata now it should be noted of course you know I sort of used the, the language even before about a pilgrimage right that one does wonder what is this idea of visiting the Rebbe by regal like it could just be well you know it's a day that you're free from working so it's a day that you should be focused on pursuing religious pursuits okay but that in a way works makes a lot of sense certainly on Shabbat right you know and that was more regular and so on um, the fact that it's interpreted as Baregel seems to actually be that this crea- is creating a sort of substitute for the idea of Aliyala Regel right the substitute of going up in the Regel um, and therefore rather than going up in the Regel and encountering God you know and making that pilgrimage to encounter God it becomes replaced with this pilgrimage to encounter the holy man to be Machbil Pnei Rebbe right and you know so also the word of Pnei like Yerau Panai Rekam, right? You visit and you the, the presence of God, the face of God. So he's from Machbil Pnei Rabo Beregel, and that's in you know sort of in balance with the more domestic reality that we have post the Chorban, which is about experiencing it in your household. It's the Machta Taubetecha. Now, of course, in the Torah, you do the pilgrimage with your family, you know, and um, but um, um, like the uh, the whole story. Uh, anyway, y- I mean, so you have like some precedent with that as well but anyway but um, um, you know with like Chana right Chana and you know and, and, and you know our husband come up and you know and there's anyway that's the whole story that you do with your family but in a way it's interesting to see this as a balance between sort of the domestic reality of the regal nowadays and some type of a substitute of what I would call Aliyah the regal and according to Rebbe Eliezer not necessarily everybody agreed with Rebbe Eliezer but Rebbe Eliezer weighed in favor of the time at home and the government fine you want to go Matthew Pnei Rabo do it but come back on the same day okay so the Gemara says like this Tadu Rabbanan Maisev Rebbe Eliezer Sheshavas Bergalil Elyon Besukato Shel Yochanan Rebbe Eloi so there's a story that Rebbe Eliezer spent Shabbat in the upper Galilee in the Sukkah of Yochanan um, the son of Rebbe Eli the Kesari in Caesarea not clear if it was the same Rebbe Eli before who was his student anyway Amulei Bekesirion and some say Caesarion on a different place okay now of course the question is what's he doing in the guy's right. sukkah he says you have to be in your sukkah the whole sukkah right and even if it wasn't sukkah he says you have to be home during the regal alright so we'll worry about that anyway the and the sun started shining down on the sukkah and his host this nice Yochanan Rebbe Eli was afraid that this great Rebbe Eliezer was going to be discomforted by the sun so Amalo, he said to him, Ma'avisha Ephros, 
um, Can I spread a sheet on top of the sukkah to protect you? And the question was here, is it like making an ohel on Shabbat? Right, because you're not allowed to like make a canopy on Shabbat. Amar Lo, so he said to him, he avoided answering. He said, You know, it's an interesting thing. There was no one of the twelve tribes of Israel that didn't have a shofet that came from it in the period of the shoftim. So if you look at Rashi, he manages to identify like nine or eight out of the twelve. Okay, he says the last four, we can't exactly prove which tribes they were from. But anyway, so he, he obviously he switched the conversation. Now the sun is midway in the sukkah. It's getting really hot in the sukkah. I'm low. So again, he said to him, Can I put a, 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 you know, a, a sheet over the sukkah? I'm low. He said to him, You know, there's not, there's not one tribe of, of the twelve tribes that, that didn't have uh, prophets that came from it. Okay, and as far as Yudin Binyamin, it might seem they didn't have prophets, but you know what? They had kings that came from Yehudin Binyamin, right? David and so, and those were anointed and those were appointed by the Nevi'im. Actually, some of them, of course, can point out that they actually were Nevi'im from Yehuda. But anyway, so he switched the conversation. So now it got to the legs, you know, it finally was getting closer and closer, and now it was almost directly shining down on Rabbi Eliezer. So not So he had enough of this. He figured, I'm not going to ask again. My great honored guest is going to be discomforted by the sun. He took this uh, sheet, and he spread it on the sukkah. So Rahisha Rabbi Eliezer Talisha Lachorov Vyatsa. So Rabbi Eliezer put on his uh, talis, put on his cloak, and he wo- stormed out of the sukkah. He left the sukkah. <laughs> he was not happy with the fact that this had that this had done. Now. Now, the Gemara says, not because he was basically trying to push him off with words. It's a funny phrase. He was trying to push him off with words. But it means not because, like, in principle, he didn't respect the question, you know, and, you know, and not because he didn't want to, like, teach him Torah. It wasn't like he didn't, in a, in a fundamental way, want to answer the question. Ella, but the reason he avoided it was, he never said something that he had never, he didn't hear from his Rebbe. And therefore, since his Rebbe had never given a ruling about spreading a sheet over a sukkah, whether that's a problem on Shabbos about making a tent or not, he didn't want to give a sock about it. So he didn't want to say yes, he didn't want to say no, he avoided answering the question. What? Well, I was going to say something about that. Let's hold off on that, okay? So, Zemar says like this. Um, now, how could he have anyway been in the sukkah, been in this other, other person's sukkah? You can't be in another sukkah on sukkah. Who says it was sukkah? He was in, he was in their nice little, you know, nice little hut in the backyard, but it wasn't sukkah. Sukkah, we didn't mean it in the halachic sense. We mean it in their little, you know, porch. Uh, their little covered porch. Okay. The Hamar Rebbe Eliezer Meshabeach and he had the Tzvan Shin Yotim Batein Beregel. So, okay, let's let it have been Pesach. Okay? Some people have their sukkahs up through Pesach. Anyway, so he said, let it have been Pesach. So, he, you're supposed to be home at, uh, during the, during the Regalim. What was he doing visiting somebody else on a different Regal? Alright, Shabbos, Ava. It wasn't a regular. It was Shabbos. Whoever said it was a Yantim. It was Shabbos he was visiting him. Fine. So the Gemara said, the tape show lay me the day. So, okay, now back to the issue about can you spread a, uh, you know, a, a sheet on the top of a sukkah. So this is the question is in halakhic terms whether you can be ose ol arai. Can you make a temporary ol on Shabbos? It's temporary because you don't mean to leave the sheet there. It's only in very temporary. And also there's already a covering over. You're just adding to an existing covering. So that's the question. So the Mark says, you know what? We can infer it from another position of Rabbi Eliezer. You have a, a stopper for the window. Okay? So you got a window in your wall and you would fill it up with a block to like fill it and to stop it and to close it off. Now, is that like adding to the wall if you want to put the stopper in on Shabbos? If it's tied to a string and suspended off the ground, then you can you know stop up the window because then it's like a part of the wall it's like a, almost like it was on hinges and you're not really doing something new being loved but if it's not on a string or even if it is on a string if it's dragging on the ground ain't poking bow you can't stop up the window that's like you created something new it's not like it was already you know part of and hanging from the wall 
Either way, you can stop it up. It's not considered adding to the wall. So the Gemara says, so look, you see, it would seem that he should have said this was a straight application of not stopping up the window. You wouldn't be able to add a sheet. So the Gemara says, why didn't he just give him a ruling? Presumably that he did hear from his rabbi. Says, no. There, maybe it's only a problem because when you stop up the window, you're going to leave it there for a while. Here, it was much more temporary. It's a sheet that you're going to take off as soon as the sun goes away. It doesn't become not only what your intent is, but structurally, right, something that fills up a hole in the wall, even if that hole is being used for a window, can really become integrated into the wall much more than a sheet that's covering the top of a sofa. So maybe here it would be more lenient. Now, Dove points out the irony that he basically did not like people visiting their Rebbe on the regal, and at the same time, he never said anything he didn't hear from his Rebbe. But as we're about to see, he was like constant by his rebellion during the normal, you know, week, so it was really a contrast about sort of investing the time on an ongoing relationship as opposed to generally not having that relationship but making a big deal about it on the yuntiv. Seems to have been part also of what this contrast is. So let's take a look at this. Tan The story of Rabbi Liezer, he spent the Shabbat in the upper galley. Maybe it was this exact uh, story, maybe a different one. Um, they asked him 30 regarding the laws of sukkah. So again, you, you know, it must be that it wasn't exactly sukkahs. Maybe it was Arab sukkahs or something because he had to be home for sukkahs. But okay. They asked him 30 laws about the laws of sukkah. 12, he said, I, I, heard, I have a tradition about this. Here's what I heard. 18, he said, I didn't hear. So actually, the majority, he actually didn't hear. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yudo, Rabbi Yudo, Rabbi Yudo said it was a little bit different. Chilof Hadvarim, the opposite. Shmon Esrei Amalem Shamati, 18 he heard. Shtein Esrei Amalem Lo Shamati, 12 he didn't hear. So at least the majority he was able to answer. Amalo, they said to him, they say all you are is a tape recorder. Everything you have, you can only tell us things that you heard from your Rebbe. Like, we'd like to hear your own thoughts about this. So Amalehem, he said to them, He's Kaktuni, Shabbat, Are you trying to get me to say something that I didn't ha- hear from my Rebbeim? Niyamai, from my very, from all my days, you know, never, Lokitmuni you should know that if I don't know something, it's not because I did not have the opportunity to hear it. It's not because I at all was ever lazy. Again, thinking about the lazy comment before. Miyamai, in all of my days, Lokitmuni Adam Bebeis Medrash, nobody ever beat me to the base Medrash. I was always the first guy in the base Medrash. Below Yashanti Bebeis Medrash, Loshinus Keva, Loshinus Arai, echoing our earlier discussion about taking naps. I didn't sleep in the base Medrash, not a deep sleep, I didn't even take a nap, I was always there and I was always awake. Um, I never left the base medic with anybody else was there, I was the first to come and the last to leave. I never said a word of Batala, I never said a word that wasn't a Torah word. And I never said anything that I didn't hear from my Rebbeim. So the reason of mentioning the first thing, the Marshal and the Rashi and the Marshal point out, because, you know, is that 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 I, I yes I, I will only tell all the things I heard by my rebellion but I made a hundred percent sure that anything my rebellion had to teach I totally absorbed and I was always there and I was always getting it so if I'm not telling you something um, it's I, it's not because there was something from, that I that I didn't learn it was because I it's because it was not something that my rebellion had to teach okay that's all nice but what still you have though is is a conflict of two different approaches to Torah Shabbat 10. This actually comes up very powerfully in some of the Rebbe Elias and Rebbe Akiva stories. Rebbe Akiva was the student, and Rebbe Akiva certainly was the classic sort of Torah Shabbat about the sort of creative approach and the using of the human creativity in interpreting the verses and not just being a transmitter and a conduit for what one receives. But Rebbe Eliezer's approach to Tzari Shabbat was all the approach of Mesorah. So it's all about Mesorah. He had to make a thousand percent sure that he was getting everything his rebellion had to teach, but he would refuse to sort of speculate on his own. It is interesting to see the contrast, as Dove points out. Right? He says before, like, don't visit your Rebbe on the Regal, but here he's completely connected to everything his rebellion has to teach. But again, I think the point is, don't do something symbolic. Oh, once, three times 
a year, I'm going to visit your Rebbe. No, you know what? Visit your Rebbe, the entire, you know, spend your time with the Rebbe the entire time, and on the Rebbe, that's when you spend your time at home. But the rest of the time, you should be totally in the base marriage, especially if you're leaving, you know, your home all the rest of the year, and you're, you know, early in the morning to late at night in the base medrash, it sort of balances out that he says, at least on Yantav, that you should spend at home. For people who maybe are home during the rest of the year, maybe they on Yantav go visit their rabbi. But there's an interesting sort of a mirror image or a contrast there. There's also an interesting contrast with, I praise the lazy people, right? He exactly was speaking about how he, you know, how he exemplified what it completely is the opposite of, you know, being lazy, of industry and application and always being there. But, you know, able to sort of at least recognize, you know, you know, sometimes it pays to stay at home and not do this. But again, that's on the regular. The rest of the year, you should be, like he would be, always in the base network. Okay? So that's, that's the mythos of Rabbi Eliezer. Also, one does sort of, it's hard to escape also the parallel of the idea of like the sense of constancy of the base medrash and the constancy of the sukkah. Like you never leave the sukkah, you're in the sukkah seven days a week, two meals a day, you don't go from sukkah to sukkah, you don't go traveling around, right? You, you plant yourself and you totally make it your home. And, you know, and that sort of, and that attitude towards the sukkah, you know, and you just, you know, you don't look for new ideas and new opportunities and go exploring. Nope, you plant yourself firm and you totally immerse yourself. And sort of how that's paralleled by his experience, like in the basement. Don't go to a hotel. Well, that we know, but I'm now making, I'm now making the comparison between his whole approach towards learning and his approach towards life. Okay. So Amrullah, now that was about Rebbe Eliezer. Now here's Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was a student of Rebbe Eliezer. Amrullah, Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakkai, he never spoke a word of, of not Torah talk. He didn't go for Amot without, wearing, without learning Torah, without wearing Tfilin. Right? The Moshe Shabbat up because Tfilin itself is an embodiment of Torah. Nobody ever beat him to the base Medrash. Like a lot of this he got from his Rebbe. Talk about getting from your Rebbe. So not only did he get the Torah from the Rebbe, he got the Midos, you know, and the ways of behavior and and the ways of commitment from the Rebbe. Nobody ever, be, he never slept, not a temporary sleep or a deep sleep. So here in Mavos, even though he was constantly in Torah, when he was in a dirty alleyway, like one that, you know, had like excrements and other types of things, he was able to control his thoughts and not think in Torah as he walked through there. Nobody ever left, you know, he never left at the base of Medrash with anybody left there. He was the last person to leave. Nobody would ever find him with a minute just sitting and like uh, staring off into space and being silent. You never catch him one minute. Not only did he talk, not talk Torah talk, he never wasted a minute. He would always be sitting and learning. And nobody opened up the door for his students. He himself, which is quite a fascinating, like didn't exactly fit with the sort of discussions you were expecting, right? This might be an idea, like, not really part of the same themes. Like it sounds almost like, you know, the, the Gemara says the famous story where you find the greatness of God, there you find his humility, right? You know, Puzzle says, God is Elohim, and then it says, and he takes care of the orphan and of the poor person and of the widow and so on. So here too, you know, even though he's, this amazing Torah giant, he would be the one to open the door for his Talmudin. Um, the Marshal also says that maybe there was some, you know, competition going on with the students and he wanted to just get them to cut it out and just get into the base marriage and learn. He also makes the point that, uh, that there was no guard at the door, like the Hillel story, the guard wouldn't let Hillel in the door. He wanted to make sure that everybody would be able to get into the base medrash. Um, Eluhuba Atzmo, he himself, he never said something he didn't hear from his ready. The low Amar, he never said, He never told other people to leave the base medrash. Right? Guys, it's time to go home. Okay? Except on Erev Pesach and Erev Yom Kippur, where there, he, because there's a mitzvah, to, you have to prepare your Korban Pesach, and you have to get ready to eat the Seder early, so that the kids are awake. And Erev Yom Kippur, there's a mitzvah to eat. Which is interesting, because one wasn't about Rabbi Eliezer, who wanted people to be home with their wives on the Regal. Did he tell the people to leave also on Erev Sukkot? Did he kick them out on Cholam Oet Sukkot? Say, get out of the base Medrash, go back to you with your wives? Or, you know, maybe not. There's a little bit of a sense about this is like different from what we heard about Rabbi Eliezer. 
Eliezer, a little different. Oh, I'm sorry, I reversed it. I, 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 I misstated. Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka, excuse me, was the Rebbe. Rabbi Eliezer was the student, right? Because Rabbi Eliezer was the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka was the door of the Chorban. Right, sorry about that. So anyway, so Rabbi Eliezer, his student, followed in a similar practice. And most of the Midot we heard from Rabbi Eliezer were those that we heard from the Rebbe, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Okay, Tanah Rabbanan, a rabbi taught. Shmonim Tamidim Hayilo Lehillel HaZakein. Hillel had 80 um, students. Obviously, not a slight exaggeration here. We'll see how the numbers are very general. Um, 30 were at such a high level that they, that they were at the level of Moshe. They could have had the divine Shekhinah rest upon them. Uh, and 30 of them were, so, were fit to have the sun stand for them like it did for Yehoshua. And there are 20 that were average. So does Benini mean lower than the 60, or does Benini mean between the Moshe and the Yoshua range? Um, so I don't know. Anyway, all right. The greatest was Yonas and Benuziel, who was the one that did the Targum of, or at least the Targum is ascribed to him. The Targum we have is ascribed to him, but anyway, he did the Targum on Nevim and Ksuvim. Uh, the smallest of them was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So all the things we heard about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he was at the bottom of all the students of Hillel. All um, the students or the uh, Benoni? Uh, it sounds like, oh, like Yonatan ben was the t- very top of the 80 and Yochanan ben Zakkai was the very bottom. That's how I understand it. Now they said about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he did not abandon like he spent his time mastering everything whether it was Mishnah whether it was Gemara now of course the irony is Gemara here he is he's a Tana right he's a student of Hillel so Rashi says even for the Tanayim when the, the analysis they did of the earlier statements of the earlier Tanayim is called Gemara any analysis of the earlier stuff that's handed down is called Gemara Okay, halachos, hagados, dikdukte Torah, like learning things out from letters in the Torah, dikdukte so from rabbinic uh, um, institutions, talim v'chamurim, there's shavos, ways of inferring things from verses, kavachomeg, there's shava, tkufos, gematrios, you know, sort of figuring out astronomical issues, doing sort of numerology, sichas malachi ashares, unknowing the speech of the heavenly angels, the sichas shedim, the speech of the demons, the sichas tukalim, knowing how the palm trees talk, like inferring things from the swaying of the palm trees, mishalos kobasi, mishalos shoalim, parables of uh, launderers, parables of foxes, where you tell a story with a fox or with a, a launderer, dover gozov, dover kadim, big things and small things. What's big and small? Big is like the hugest things, right? The, the workings of the divine chariot. Small is a vice of You know, the types of questions of Ayin Rava asks, meaning all the learning that we do of Shas. That's small. Okay? As opposed to the huge theological issues relative to those, that's small. Okay? This fulfills the verse. To give my to to bequeath to those who be, who, who, who who love me, yesh um, something of substance. So so to him I'm a lay. Their storehouses I will fill. So filled with all the knowledge of Torah that comes through a love of God and the love of Torah. So the Gemara says, If the smallest one was at the level of Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai, how much more so was the greatest one, Yonas and Benuziel, you know, you know, uh, exponentially higher? They said about Yonas and Benuziel, when he was learning Torah, any bird flying over him would be burnt because the fiery angels would be flying over Yonas and Benuziel to participate in the Torah. If you look at Tosos, he says, like when he was learning it, like remember it says that the greatest ones were like Moshe Rabbeinu. It was like getting the Torah all again in Harsinai. So all the fire of Harsinai was surrounding him. So very obviously, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, tremendous imagery about the power of, of that learning. Now it is interesting, I do want to say something about this, because when you, it's listing all of the things that Jonas and Ben Uziel, right, I mentioned this idea about these two paradigms of Torah Shabbatah. Is it Misora, which is clearly what Rebbe Eliezer is, or is it Jonas, or is it, you know, what I call, call Rebbe Akiva, which is much more the human creativity. Now, it's worth note, noting that although the Gemara says that, Jonas, that, that Rebbe Yochanan and Zakkai never said anything he didn't hear from his Rebbe's, notice the things that said that he mastered, right? What did he master? He mastered Gemara, he mastered Kavachomer, 
he mastered right Shava, he mastered um, he mastered Havayos All of those are not just facts to pass down. All of those are analytic. Right, right. When you the, the, the discussions of a Rava, the hypothetical questions that they raise, or learning something out from a Kabbalah that's about using your mind and deriving something. It's not just about Masori. Gemara is about analyzing something. So, are we supposed to understand that? No, he didn't himself engage in this. He just said over what his rebellion said about all this, but he himself didn't actually participate in this endeavor. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Or are we supposed to say that, no, it's not so black and white? You know, Rabbi Eliezer, notice that Rabbi Eliezer's midos that he learned from, from Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai were a subset of them. Right? The Gemara only says a smaller piece of what Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, of, of Rabbi Eliezer, than what it says about Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. So it could be that what Rabbi Eliezer did was what Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai did, but Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai was, did was not what Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai might have had a broader understanding. You know, it's like now things that are going on, or have been going on for the last, you know, 20, 30 years about the Rav. Different students of the Rav have a very different understanding of what he was and what his teaching was, and you know, and whether he was modern or was he a traditionalist or was he this or was he that. And the point is that you have somebody who's really great is very complex and multifaceted, and different students take one piece of that and not the whole whole part of that. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, it sounds like, was not just oh straight conduit. I just pass down what I get. He is involving himself in Gemara, in Havayas Tavayi Verova, in Kavachomer. He also is very careful to pass down exactly what he sees from his Rebosa. What Rabbi Eliezer gets from that is just the Mesorah part. Right? That's the piece that Rabbi Eliezer gets from. He sort of does, doesn't go race the rest of it. But Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai actually seems to be, represent something that's much broader than just pure Mesorah. And let's not forget, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai was a student of um, Hillel. The whole Kiddush of Hillel was that people didn't know, if you remember how Hillel became to be the Nasi, they didn't know, can you bring a Pesach on Ere Pesach Shechali or Shabbos? Mm-hmm. And he came and he, and he proved it to them 30 different ways from different interpretations of the verses, and they didn't want to hear it. The neighbor said, didn't want to hear it. Then finally he said, oh, I have a Masorah from Shemaya Vakali. And he said, oh, a Masorah? Why didn't you say so in the first place? So, and then they accepted it. So the whole point about Hillel was trying to show that there's a different way of doing Torah than just Masorah. But there was a lot of resistance to that. So Yochanan ben Zakkai, his student, really, I think, what we're hearing, really had all aspects of it. And Rabbi Eliezer, the student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, just had focused in on the one piece of it. That, I think, is somewhat of the message of what's going on here. Yes. Um, ironically, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai probably instituted more innovations. Thank you. I meant to mention that, too. Think for a minute. Yochanan ben Zakkai, besides all his takanot, he was the one that was forward-looking enough to deal with the impending Korban Abayis and to realize that we have to re, you know, reshift the emphasis to Torah and to Yavne and was willing to go out and really to make the deal with the Romans, right? So mm-hmm. it was like, here's the, you cannot say, everybody was like, oh, he was just Misora, right? Mm-hmm. But for, in Rabbi Eliezer's eyes, that's all it was, was, was just Misora. But actually, Rehobo Zaka was a much broader and more complex character. Okay. So, yes. But Hillel came from Babel. He had went to Babel after he learned with Shmai Bel Talion. Yeah, he had, oh, I don't exactly. We identify Hillel as a Babli. Yeah, but Mar says Ashba Hillel Habavli. Yeah. Very interesting thing. Yeah, I know. I don't know when he learned. Yeah, I don't know when he initially learned and when he traveled. Yeah. Um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai would have had to have been a, uh, a young man when he was learning with Hillel because they were several generations apart. That's a good point. Hillel died when. About well, it was from I thought the uh, first century, the last century before the Common Era, right before the turn of the Common Era. Right now, I know Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai was very old at the time of the Korban, but yeah. there, there would have had to have been span the century. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I don't know. So I'm wondering when you said. When you say Katan, that might have been that he was also the youngest. <laughs> right, right. It's a good point. Uh, Katan is the youngest. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, the issue about Havayis Tabai Verova being a double Katan is fascinating. I mean, that's important in the Rambam's whole approach because the Rambam actually thinks that the whole point of learning Gemara is that you know the Halakha, but then you're able to free up your time to like study philosophy and theology. And he sort of bases it a little bit on this like Gemara that you know Dabar Gadol is Master Merkava. That's the real goal. Dabar <coughs> Katan is Havayis Tabai Verova, but at the same time, the Rambam understands that most people can't deal with Matzah Merkava, which for the Rambam was like philosophy and theology. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody has access to, you know, Havaisa by Varava, to the type of learning of Gemara. Yes. 
about this uh, difference in approach between Rabbi Eliezer and, uh, and Rabbi Akiva? Yes, yes. The Agadah says of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. I've spoken about that before when we did it in the Dafyomi, like, you know, I don't know, a year, year ago, whatever. But um, I can point you to, I wrote some of it up. But yes, there in some of those Agadahs, you really see how, because Rabbi Akiva, you know, more than Hillel, you know, Hillel sort of shows that's his innovation. But Rabbi Akiva totally was the embodiment of the creative approach towards the Talmud Torah. And in some of those encounters about Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Eliezer on the deathbed of Rabbi Eliezer, you really sort of see, you know, see that contrast. Okay, let's take a look now at the Mishnah. Somebody who, we had this Mishnah quoted before, so we're not going to actually analyze the first half because we analyzed it before. We're going to focus on the second half. Somebody whose head and the majority of his body was in the sukkah and the, and the table was in the house. Invalidates and they still says it's kosher um, because they're afraid. Again, assuming it's a big sook, it's not a question of minimum size. They're afraid that you'll be drawn after where your table is. Again, here we have another story. Wasn't this a story? That the elders of Beit Shammai went to visit Rabbi Yochanan ben Achuranit. And he was there. His head and body was in the sukkah, and his table was in the side of the house. The law and they didn't say anything to him. So you see that it's okay, or else they would have said something to him. You want to bring a proof from there? No, they did say something to him. They said, This is what you've been doing your whole life, and you've never fulfilled the mitzvah sukkah. Very lovely thing to be saying. Anyway, it's fascinating. Like, Beitila, where was Beitila when that was being said? I don't know. They went to use the bathroom or something, and that's when Beitila said it. So there's different versions about what happened. Okay, moving on. We're not going to analyze that. We analyzed that before. Women, slaves, and children are exempt. It's a classic positive time-bound mitzvah that only adult males are obligated in. A minor who is not, who doesn't need his mother, chayes the sukkah has to be in a sukkah, whose relative, who's somewhat independent, has to be in a sukkah. We'll see in the Gemara that that's not biblical, that is rabbinic, that's the mitzvah of chinuch, of educating children in the mitzvah. Masa's story, the Yalda Kalasu Shashamai Hazakain, Shamay's daughter in law gave birth, um, and he made a hole in the plaster above the, the ceiling, and made a little, put some schach directly over the cradle, for the minor, okay, which is a little crazy, right? Because, like, who needs to do chinuch for a one day old infant? But he used the dofin akuma, you know, he used the idea of a bending wall with the ceiling, and he got a little schach in the middle, and he, therefore even the minor was eating in a sukkah. All right, let's take a look at the Gemara. Minani Mili, where does this come from, this exemption of women, slaves, and minors? Um, we taught Ezrach, a citizen, all, all citizens dwell in sukkah. Ezrach, the Ezrach, that's a normal citizen. Hai Ezrach, which means anyone, men and women. Hai Ezrach, the hey, Lahoti Ezrach is an extra letter and it's coming to say, no, only men, not women. Call, but then it says call. Lirabos is a ketanim. That's coming to include the minors, because we see in the mission some minors are obligated. So this is very bizarre. So let's take a look. Amar Hezrach Lahotiyas Anashim. The hey is coming to exclude women. Lememra. This suggests the Ezrach. The word Ezrach by itself. which suggests men and women, and it's only the extra hey that excludes women. The Hatanya, but we taught in the Brisa. Hezrach Ezrach. This is the pasuk about fasting on Yom Kippur. It says, um, What is it? Um, what's the pasuk? It's Rashi. Um, What's the pasuk? Hold on. Um, so you should fast and not do malacha the Ezrach. So Ha Ezrach, same word Ha Ezrach, says the Brayta, is including women. That women are also obligated to fast. So Alma, you see, Ezrach Gavre Mashma. The Ezrach by itself means men, and the Heima means to include women. So which is it? Is Ha Ezrach including women or excluding women? So I'm a Rabbah Hilchasaninu. You know what? You're right. It isn't really, the verses aren't really teaching it. It's really just a halachal emotion Sinai or a tradition. And the rabbis linked it to a verse. All right, so fine. Yeah, we're not being consistent. We just have it by tradition. 
So the Gemara doesn't want to say that it's all by tradition. One of the things has to be implied by the verse. So, what do you get from the verse? And what does the halacha come to modify? What would be the simple sense of the verse? Number one. The two, and, but anyway, who needs a pasuk? Who needs a All of this should have been just self-evident. The halacha by sukkah and the halacha by fasting. Sukkah, Ha-mitzukah, mitzvah sasechaz man-grama. Sukkah is a positive time-bound mitzvah. V'chol mitzvah sasechaz man-grama, nashim keturos. And women are exempt, so it just is an application of a general principle. Who needs a pasuk? Who needs a halacha? L'moshem yisinai? It's just a general principle. Of course women are exempt. That's for sukkah. And when you get to Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, meet Rabbi Yudam Arav Nafka. You could learn it out from Rabbi Yudam Arav. I'm a Rabbi Yudam Arav. Chayin time of the Bay Rabbi Yishmael. Amar Kra, the verse says, Ish o Isha, man or woman, who, who will do any of the sins of, any of the sins. So from that we learn, that men and women, when it comes to something that is a sin and a punishment, as opposed to a positive mitzvah, men and women are, create, are, are, are categorized equally. There's not a distinction. And since Yom Kippur, although the verse only talks about a positive mitzvah, te'anu, the Gemara learns out that it's also a negative prohibition, and it learns out that there's a punishment of, and it, there's a punishment of karis. So anything that there's a punishment with, men and women are equally bound by. So you know sukkah, they're exempt, the general principle, you know Yom Kippur, they're chayev, the general principle of a negative prohibition with a punishment, women are chayev. So why do you need anything? So Amar Bayi, La'olam Sukkah Hilchasah. Sukkah is the halacha. The general understanding is Ezra comes to include women. But there's a chiddish by sukkah, a halacha to tell you to exclude women. Now, why do you need a halacha to tell you to exclude? Why would I have thought otherwise? The Istrich, you need a halacha. Sa'kadayitachamina, I would have thought to say, Teshru, it says you shall dwell in a sukkah, which we've interpreted to mean, Ke'en Taduru, you dwell in a sukkah like you dwell in your house. The same way when you're in a house, it's man and women, husband and wife living together. So a sukkah, in order to be like your house, husband and wife have to continue living together. So for it to be a house, it would have to obligate women, which is a pretty reasonable idea. So that's why you need a special halacha to tell you, though, even though logically maybe women should be obligated because, it, because to make it like a normal type of living in the house, no, they're not obligated, and it goes back to the general rule that a positive time-bound mitzvah, women are exempt. Rava Amar, so that's why you needed the halacha. Rava says, Itzrech. Here's another reason you needed the special chiddish to exempt women by sukkah. I would have thought, Remember, we introduced this idea yesterday, that you're obligated to eat the first night in sukkah because you learned it out from Pesach, from the fact that it says 15 in both places. So, so the same way women are obligated on matzah the first night because it's linked to the prohibition of chametz. So let me say, it would have been a very reasonable thing to say. At least for the first night, let women be obligated. If we're learning out the first night of sukkah, so the first night of Pesach, that's a very, that's a very reasonable thing to say. But no, women are exempt. So even though it would be more like a house, and even though it would be more comparable to the, to, the, to the way we learn it out from Pesach, to say women are obligated, nevertheless, the halacha tells me, halacha Moshe Mishinai, that women are exempt. Okay. The hashka damarta sukkah now that sukkah is halacha Moshe Mishinai, kra lamali, so what's the point of the verse to say, ha'ezrach b'israel yeshvu basukot? If the word ha'ezrach is we're saying means to be more inclusive, but it's not being inclusive of women, what is it being inclusive of? So the Gemara says, L'Vavah says Hagerim, to be inclusive of converts. I would have thought, Ha'ezrach Yisrael Amarachmana, the Ezrach in Yisrael, which maybe means naturally born Jew, the lowest Hagerim, Kamash Malan, so the word Ha'ezrach is inclusive to say, obviously it includes converts as well. Interesting, Tosis discusses, like, when do you need a Pusik to include converts? Aren't we always assuming that converts are, you know, ka, you know, uh, you know, you know, kager, ka'ezrach, and so on? But sometimes the Gemara does need it, sometimes it doesn't, and it's a, and Tosis deals with some of those issues. Okay, but that's what you get by, by Sukkah. Ha'ezrach is inclusive, you don't need it to include women, women are excluded, and, <coughs> the re- and even though there's a logic to include women, they're still excluded. I assume it's male here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yom Kippurim, now how about Yom Kippur? Why do you need a Pasuk to, ex- to include women by Yom Kippur? You learn it out from the fact that women are obviously obligated to fast because it's a, something that is a prohibition. 
You only need it for, to tell you that they're not only obligated to fast on Yom Kippur, they're obligated in the extra period of fasting, right? Because you begin fasting a little bit before the day begins. I would have thought, Since the Torah excludes this extra period of fasting from punishment and from the negative prohibition, yes, you're obligated to add a few extra minutes before the day begins, but it's not a negative prohibition and it's not punishable by kares. So therefore, it's not the normal types of things that would bind women. So maybe women aren't obligated to do the extra adding. Kamash Malan, that they are. Since they're obligated to do the primary fasting, they're also obligated to add to the fasting and to start a few minutes before. Two interesting questions about that. The Rishash says, why doesn't it also say that women are obligated to do the Tosefes Malacha, to begin not doing Malacha a few minutes before sunset, since the Pasuk of Ha'ezrach also relates to anybody who doesn't do, doesn't fast and doesn't do Malacha, right? So, and he says, this might be a basis for the Rambam, that the Rambam says that the only biblical mitzvah of Tosefet is not on Shabbos, not on Yom Tif, only on Yom Kippur, and even on Yom Kippur, only about the fasting, and not about the Malacha. So he does point out the fact that the Gemara only mentioned the issue of Tosefet Inuay, and not the Tosefet of the Isra Malacha, that also we add a few minutes and we stop before sunset. Other interesting debate in the postkim is, are women obligated in the mitzvah of eating on Arab Yom Kippur? Right? So is that, like, is that positive or is that connected to the fasting the same way they're supposed to fast and they're supposed to add the extra time of fasting? Are they also uh, have this myth of eating every Yom Kippur or not is an interesting debate of the Akhram. Anyway, that's what we get. Women are exempt from sukkah even though there would have been an odd logic to obligate them and they're obligated in fasting on Yom Kippur not only in the primary but even on the Tosefet. Let's get to the Mishnah. Amar Mar. Kol, all, Rabbis Sektani, to include minors. How could you say minors are obligated? Women, slaves, and minors are exempt. It's whether he's of the age of, ed- of, of instruction or not. You know, being, of doing chinuch, of, of training him to prepare, to, to be able to do the mitzvah. Okay, the chinuch is only a rabbinic idea. How are you learning it out from the verse? Call to include minors. All right, it's rabbinic. The verse is just a biblical base, a biblical meaning, but it really is rabbinic. Okay, now once the minor doesn't need his mother, that's when the obligation of chinuch begins. What means he's independent from his mother? When he goes to the bathroom and he doesn't need for his mother to wipe up after him. All right, what is that, like two, three? Rebbe, Rebbe, I don't know, it depends on the kid, I guess. Anybody who gets up in the middle of the night and doesn't say, Mommy. So the Gemara says, Ima, Mommy, Gedolim, Mommy, Karu, even bigger kids. I hope, I hope, I mean, 30 years, maybe, depends. But okay, even when you're clearly, you know, an older kid, you sometimes wake up and call for your mother. Ella, so here's what you should say. Koshaner mi v'eno kare ima ima. A kid who wakes up and then say, Mommy, 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 until the mother comes. If you, once you're beyond that stage, then you're independent. Now, I do want to say something. This is the age of chinuch. Now, in general, chinuch, Tosos points out, is not a strict age. Four, five, six. It's relative to the mitzvah. Are you able to do the mitzvah on your, can you do the act of the mitzvah? So, for example, can you shake a lulav? Then your ob- then chinuch begins for lulav. Can you wear tzitzit without sort of getting them, you know, dirty or whatever? Then you do the word mitzvah tzitzit. So this issue, can you go, you know, can you walk by yourself? Then there's like chinuch of aliyah l'regel. All right. So here, the fact that it describes what does it mean to live in a sukkah? When are you considered able to do it? Is when you have a degree of independence. Right, underscores the point that I've been trying to say, which is the idea of living in a sukkah does not just mean physically being there. It means to some degree being empowered and being in control and being independent. If you're a kid and you need your mommy, you're not really the one who's living in a sukkah. The same way a sick person or a mitzvah, you might be physically present, but I, you, you see the sort of analogy I'm making, right? If you're light, laid up in bed because you're sick or you're a kid, you can physically be in the sukkah and sleep and eat, but that's not what it means to live in a place. So I think it's important that the definition here of being able to do the act is having a certain degree of independence. Let's just do the last case. Masa Bialta Kolosso, the uh, Shammai's daughter-in-law, 
Masam Listor? How is this? It's contradicting because obviously this is an infant. This isn't the age of Chinuch. So the man says, Chisurei Mechsabei Vahachitani. Fine, it's missing some words. Here's the sense of it. The Shamai Machmir. Shamai would go overboard, even, even younger than the age of Chinuch. Umay Sanami. There was a story. The Yalda Kalasu Shal Shamai. Hazakein Upiches Asamaziva Vesichich Halamita Bishviyala Katan. And he even did it for a one day old infant. But that was a little overboard. But certainly when they're at the age of Chinuch, that's when the mitzvah began. Okay. Ah. Happy English.